just due to the nature nature of uh, everything that's going on, I knew I need to do need to make an announcement. God forbid anything should ever happen, but if anything ever happens while we're here, something starts going on, rather than y'all freaking out and jumping up and running and that kind of stuff, sure we ask everybody just go go get down, okay? It's crazy that you got to announce that to the church, you know, but just where we're at in the world, that's that's what I ask you to do. If anything happens, we're prepared for it. So if, if anything ever comes up in the future, and we don't live by fear, you know, here's where I, if something happens, you, you better be ready. This is a good time to be ready to meet the Lord. I want to kind of touch on that this morning. We're in Luke chapter 15, but I want to start off in the like everybody's minds. I'm not preaching on end times, just don't want to right now. But uh, you got that verse in Luke 21, Luke 21. just want to put something, a thought process before we go into this morning. Luke 21, Jesus speaking here to his disciples. Um, this is not where we're at as far as what's going on in the world. But he says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that desolation is near. Verse 22. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. You know, it's it's possible we're quickly moving towards that. I'm not saying we are, but there's a whole lot of things. And I've been saying that since the first of the year that continue to escalate and move towards the possibility of that this is the time where we'll see the Lord's return. Might not, might be a thousand years from now. But what I what I do want to say is, um, uh, you know, as far as when the Lord comes back, it, will it be at the first of the tribulation, the mid or the end or whenever? Really, I don't think any, nobody knows. And everybody has their own view, but I would say this: if if I believed, I, and I, you know, I believe that we're going to go through most of the tribulation and and towards the end is when the rapture will be. I can be wrong really easy, but if you're one who says, "Well, I believe that the Lord's going to come back prior to or at the first of the tribulation," then you better be ready because it could be any day. That's that's where we're at. I don't know if y'all, if you most of you, a lot of you, study your Bible and stuff to see the things I'm. I'm watching going on, you know, Ezekiel chapter 38. Every nation mentioned in that war against Israel is involved right now, and everything's escalating and moving towards Jerusalem. The Bible's not written with America as the center. It's written with Israel as the center. And so when you see these things going on, you know, the more that I look at it, and we get a lot of a lot of phone calls and talk, and, and here's the thing I want to kind of shift your mind on. Everybody, for some reason, wants to figure out who the Antichrist is. Who gives a flip? It don't matter who the Antichrist is. The the point is, you know, because people go, what, what what should we do? And I just want to tear down some thought process. A lot of people go, I just need to know. I want to know. You know, it's like when stuff goes on in the world, all of a sudden people get concerned and, and they want to know what's going on, what's going to happen, this and that. As if you need to know, if you think, I need to know so that I can get right, then you ain't right. What are you going to, here's my question, what are you going to do to get right? Well, I, well, I'm involved in sin and I need to repent of that. You need to repent of it anyhow, even if the Lord not coming back. Because your trumpet might sound today. But, but here's the thing. For a born again believer, your spirit 
has been raised to life because of Jesus, because of his grace, and because of his mercy. And it's not like, oh, I think I'm going to die, so I better repent, or I'm not going to go to hell. If that's your thought process, you've got salvation all messed up to start with. Because it's not about making sure I pray everything before I die, because if I have one sin, then then I don't know what I'm going to do about that. It is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is the Spirit of God inside of you, and has he sealed your soul until the day of redemption? Because the Bible clearly points all of those things out, and it says in Romans chapter 8, either you have the Spirit of God inside of you, or you are not his. And so that's what we have to look at, and... And so, if you was to say, well, what happens if this is, if this is it? And we see, because honestly, you know, I could, I could paint a lot of scenarios, but, but what could happen? You know, you can see all these, all the countries coming, gathering against Israel. You already see a shift in the attitude as far as in the secular world actually shifting against Israel. I'm 100% for Israel and I back them 100% because God's for them. And so in that, you know, you, you could see that if you was to see an all-out war and the Islamic nations come against him and all of a sudden one man rises up out of the Islamic nations and, and works a peace treaty, then we're, we're there. You're at the first of the seven. You got seven years. One, you have no longer the seven years you're going to stand before the Lord, possibly, most likely in the first couple of years, because it's going to be literally hell on earth during that time. And so if you say, well, then what, what should we do to respond? You know, go buy bullets and, and food and all that stuff. I'm not against that. You know, I'm not against that. But, but here's the thing. As a believer, number one, make sure your soul is that you're a born-again believer. Don't give me that I've been baptized and I go to church, junk. Does the Spirit of God abide in you? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? And if you are saved, then our response is all the same. And that's what the message is this morning. You know, Jesus is Lord. He's King. The Bible said he's the head of the church. His whole mission summed up is to save sinners. One purpose, one point, go to the cross, provide a sacrifice for sin so that we can be forgiven, show mercy, and saved through the blood of Jesus. That was his mission. Here's where I'm at. Our whole mission as a church summed up is to reach the lost. Every person sitting here, not just in a, I'm not talking about it in a church service or the pastor or a few leaders, but if you've been born again, even if the Lord doesn't come back in your lifetime, if you've been born again, Christianity, its purpose, its sole purpose for you is to come to the knowledge of Christ and to reach the lost, period. That's it. It's not, hey, I'm going to live a better life and I want to be you know, morally good and I want to look clean and I want to do all these things. Okay, If you look at this passage of Scripture in chapter 15 and verse 1 of Luke, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. Talking about Jesus. For what? To hear him. Thinking, Isn't it strange how when Jesus is here, and I say this every time, I just got to, isn't it strange how sinners... We're drawn to him, but they're not drawn to the church today. We're the body of Christ, yet you don't see a whole lot of sinners on average drawn to the church. But they were drawn to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, the Pharisees and scribes, that was the religious leaders of the day, the religious group. They complained, saying, this man, notice this, gives me hope. This man receives sinners. And he eats with them. And so Jesus knew their thoughts, and he heard their complaints. And, and the next three parables, we won't cover them all, but the next three parables, he's addressing this attitude 
of the religion of his day. And he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, he does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner. I want you to know if you have your Bible, one sinner who repents, than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now I'm going to put this in our terms. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 people sitting in the church who've already been saved. See, the religious thought of the day was that this is their idea of the kingdom and what God's desire. It was a ritual service. You know, they would go through the process of what they had come up with as far as the ceremonies. They were all about morals outwardly, not inwardly. But outwardly, it was, it was an appearance thing. They wanted to appear to be moral, to be just, not to be sinful. And that's why when Jesus comes along, you wonder why he said some of the things he said to the religious people. He said, on the outside, you're white like a sepulcher. You appear to be moral. You appear to be pretty good people. You appear like you really love the Lord. I mean, you go to church and you, and you do the rituals and you go through these things. But he said, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. I would say a majority of people in church today fit that bill. A majority of every church in the United States of America, on the outside, look pretty good. Morally, we, we, we don't do the, the things that we label as the really bad stuff. We're not involved in those things, that kind of stuff. But on the inside, full of dead man's bones. Never been born again. Not alive in Christ. Not in love with Christ. Not in love with God's word. Just religious and outwardly moral. And then they had the thing where they were segregated from sinners. Happens to a lot of people. They go to church. They get churchy. You know, they, they deal with some of the things in their life. And I'm talking about even saved people. We deal with some of the major sins in our life. You know, I'm, I quit drinking and I quit cussing and I quit going to these places. And I started being faithful to my spouse and this and that. I got those things out of my life. God has saved me. And so then we come to church and we plop down and, and we sit there for years and we get some biblical knowledge and we get the Christian lingo and the t-shirts and the, and the cross necklaces and we, we get that going on in us. And the next thing you know, if you're not careful, you develop the same attitude that they had in the day of Jesus where you segregate yourself from sinful people. And you find your community as you look up, you find, I, I challenge you this morning, when you look at your community, are you surrounded only by believers? And you look down as if you're above sinful people. You know, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a bunch of sinful people I'm around. I don't want to be seen in certain places. But why? Because my church community might see me and think that I'm doing that. And I don't want to be around these, this group of people as if what they're involved in and what they're doing. And I realize the Bible says that we're to be separate, but it's talking about as far as partaking of sin. Jesus was around sinners. He didn't sin to fit in. And he didn't partake of sin, but he, he remained who he was in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. The Bible says you can be a godly person in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, and you can be a lie. You don't have to partake of 
the things that the world's partaking of and isolate yourself somewhere to go, you know what, here's the thing. Well, here's what God wants for me. He wants me to be good, read my Bible, say my prayers, go to conferences, do Bible studies, sing the songs, wear the T-shirts, this and that, and not be like all those wicked people who are obviously going to hell that I ain't doing anything about. You know, Jesus, I love it, but he comes along and he shatters, he shatters that mold. And I think the mold of the church today needs to be shattered again. Because we've come to the place to where there's not a whole lot of concern or burden for lost people. If Jesus is coming back next week, what do I do? You need to be sharing the gospel. If you're saved, then Jesus comes back, you're good to go. But what about all the people around us? What about, and if you, if you have a community where you don't have any sinful people in your community, you need to shatter that mold. Not to partake of what they're doing, but to put yourself in a place to where you can be an influence of the gospel. In our church, and I believe we are. And I'll say this, I'll trade every one of you. If you're 99 or 290 or whatever, trade every one of you for, for a crowd of sinners who are lost. I'd love it every Sunday. Honestly, if God ever opened the door to where I could preach to lost people every Sunday, I'd leave in a heartbeat. Because that's my passion in my heart. And it ought to be every person's passion in your heart to go, you know what? God has saved me. I want to praise him. I do want to live godly. I do want to be obedient to God's word. I want to be a light. I'm not saying not to be, I'm not saying to live immoral. Don't read that in there. Preach told me I can live like the devil, okay? But what I am saying, I want to do those things. But my main concern is not how I appear to you or how you appear to one another. Our main concern is that we get our hands a little dirty. You know, what would it be like? You know, I, I, I work and do construction. You know, if I hire somebody and I'm doing something to where I go, let's say, for instance, in a day that we're, uh, we're painting something, okay? And, and that person goes through the whole day, and at the end of the day, he's like, what do you think? I made it through the whole day, and my hands don't have any paint on it, my hair don't have any paint on it, and, and, and you know, my clothes look like they did when I got here. Guess where you're not going to be tomorrow? You know why? Because you can't do what I've asked you to do without getting a little dirty. And you can't, we can't do what God's called us to do without getting our hands a little dirty and involved with sinful people. Look at Jesus. He was constantly involved with sin. He didn't do like the religious people today. He didn't show up in a robe and, and sit in a temple and, and be judgmental. I'm glad I'm not like you. I'm glad I'm not like you. And boy, look at that person. That person makes me look good. He went out and went, you know what? These are the people that we're here to reach. And those people are the people we're here to reach. And if we're not reaching, then we're above all hypocrites. Think about this. Jesus explains the heart of heaven here to him. He said, what man of you, in verse 4, you have a hundred sheep. If you lose one, do you not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after the one which is lost? How long? Until he finds it. He said, there's one. Only one. You got a hundred sheep. Only one gets lost. And I think there's a reason that Jesus emphasizes in this parable over and over and over. It's like just one. We're not talking about 10 get lost, 50 get scattered, just one. Why does he emphasize just one? Because he came for just one. He said, I would leave heaven. I would step down out of my throne. I would assume a human body. I would humble myself and take on the form of a slave. And I would humble myself and die the death of the cross to save just one. Just one. 
You know, a lot of times in our days, we, we look at this big evangelistical meetings and the things like that that I don't think are effective that much anymore. The days of Billy Graham are over in our culture. We don't need a superhero that goes out and puts up a tent and preaches and thousands come to Christ. doesn't work anymore. What works is us going to just one. God's not asking you to be a missionary to reach a thousand people or even a hundred people. But here's my question. Would you reach just one? Just one. I don't know how many people we got here today. Let's say we got 200 people, 300 people. Let's say 200 people. One person a year. Surely, surely if you love Jesus, we could reach one lost person a year. One. I'm going to show you how God designed the church to work. If every person here reached one person this year. You got 365 days to show the love of Jesus, to speak the truth of the gospel, to invest in that person's life, that one lost sheep, because you're the shepherd of the gospel. If you just reach just one person, next year we would be 400. If we did the same that year, the next year, in three years, we would be 800. In four years, we would be 1,600. In five years, we would have 3,200. In six years, we'd be at 6,400. In seven years, we'd be at 12,800 people. In the next year, 24,000 or 25,000, you'd say, people, we'd reach the entire community in eight years. That's what God intends on the power of the gospel to be. And you just got to reach one, just one. So I don't have to go out. I don't have to stand in front of a bunch of people. You can reach one in a boat. You can reach one on your job. You can reach one in a deer stand. You can reach one on a shopping trip. You can reach one just by going and sitting down and, and spending time listening to them. You can reach one by, by leaving a track on a gas pump. You can, leave, you can reach one. You can do it. If you know Jesus, you can do it. You don't have to be highly educated, obviously. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to understand the book of Ezekiel and Nahum and, and Revelation. What you have to do is know Jesus and know how you met him and know how good he is and know the change he's made in your life so that you can share that with a friend. Every one of us should have a lost friend. If you don't have a lost friend, something is messed up in your life. Or you're just oblivious and you're one of those people who think, well, everybody's going to heaven. No, they're not. They're not. Think about this. If you just had one lost sheep and you was the shepherd, what would you do? So, well, some people go, I'm just going to focus on the 99. A lot of us have somebody in our life who are lost. And some of you have gone after that person. Your desire is to see that person come to Jesus. And you've prayed and you've spoke the truth. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, you went, well, I guess they ain't going to be saved. So I'm just going to focus on the 99. A lot of us go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, here's what the church does. We're going to focus on the 99. We're going to feed them. We're going to get you fat. You know, as a pastor, God convicted me so much of this week with this. I'm like, you know what I've done a lot? When I first started preaching, my heart was to reach the lost. Now my heart is to feed the fat. Come on. It comes every Sunday, I'm going to help you with your family. And I'm going to help you with your, with your finances. And I want to help you in your problems. And I want to help you with your addiction. You know what? Get the sheep good and fat, but there's still the one out there I ain't reaching. Now I'm preaching to me. Maybe it doesn't apply to you. But do you ever forget the one? Maybe some people go, I decide it's too risky. Maybe this shepherd can win. It's too risky to go after the, the one. Why? Because I have to leave the 99. What if I leave the 99 to go after the one? What happens to the 99? I'll tell you what happens. This is what Jesus is teaching here. This is a hard truth for the American mentality in the church. But what he's saying is, if I leave the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one, what is most likely going to happen to the 99? They're going to perish. 
the wolves are coming when there's no shepherd. And this is what he says. If I have to trade 99 saved people to reach one lost person, heaven says, good trade. You know why heaven thinks that way? Because heaven doesn't look at this where we are here now. I want you to have your best life now. I want your, I want everything to be blessed, blessed. I want you to have plenty in the world. I want you all to be all happy. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, this is the picture of the gospel. God gave his son, his one and only son, sacrificed him in such a horrific way to go, I'm willing to give up my one and only son to save a sinner, just one. Yet, yet for some reason, in the United States, what we think is, you're telling me that God wants me to take a five cent an hour cut so that I can be at a different job to be a missionary there? No way he would ask me to do that. No way he would ask me to give up this or give up that. No way we're going through the tribulation because God would never ask us to suffer or to give our life for the gospel. What Bible are you reading? Look at the people over there. If God's not in control, why are babies being beheaded as we speak? He's in control in Israel just like he is in the United States of America. And people, we are no better than anybody. Got a whole lot more answering to do, most likely, because we've been given so much. Or perhaps maybe it's pointless, and, and, and a lot of times when we see that one lost sheep, it's that black sheep. You know, somebody in your family, somebody in your work. We, all, we finally got it all figured out. All my family got saved except for one. And we've told this person and told that person, you know, you need to be in church, you need to get right. All my friends finally, you know, they quit that stuff and they come to Jesus, but I still had that one friend. Just a black sheep. What's the point? Why do I want to sacrifice my fun and my time with the, with the white sheep to go after this person who doesn't really care? That, that wasn't Jesus' attitude. Jesus was like, I'll leave, all the, I'll leave all the peace and I'll leave all the Facebook buddies and I'll leave all my friends because there's one person I need to invest my time in because here's the truth. If you do not reach that person, that person is in big trouble. No matter how precious they are to you, I want to wake some parents up here this morning. Okay? Not everybody goes to heaven. A majority of people are going to perish and end up in hell. Hell is real. The Bible describes it as the lake of fire, a place of torment, where the smoke of their torment will ascend up before God day and night forever and ever and ever. A place where the worm does not die. So you preach hellfire and So No, I'm just talking about what Jesus talked about. And there's going to come a day of judgment. Read it for yourself, Revelation chapter 20, where everybody whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life is going to be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Let me ask you this question. Parents, your kids are on the A honor roll. Your kids are on the sports teams. Your kids are on, the, on whatever it is that they're involved in. But my question is, are your kids' name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because it's your responsibility. You're the shepherd. You're the shepherd. Maybe not of a hundred. But you're the shepherd of two or four or whatever it is you've got. Maybe just the shepherd of one. That one little sheep. And if you never teach them about Jesus. And you never live it in front of them. If they look at your life. Go, ah, Jesus stuff just church thing. My mom and dad just like everybody else. We do the same things. Everybody, We watch the same things everybody else. My dad, I never see him reading the Bible. He sure doesn't pray. So what's the big deal? Once your child comes to that age, there's no certain age. But once your child, this is biblical, 
Once your child comes to the age where they have an understanding of what right and wrong is, and they understand that there's an accountability there, and that's, a lot of times that's a younger age. When they come to that place where they understand that and God's Spirit, they hear the gospel and God's Spirit deals with them, at that point in time, they're no longer under you. They're in their own accountability before God. And if they die at the age of whatever it is, 11, 13, 14, what, I don't care what age it is, when they come to a place where they, where they have an opportunity and they're like, I'm not ready for that right now, or I don't see no point in that right now, or that's not really important to my parents, or it's not important to me right now, if your child dies, they'll end up in hell. Swallow that. They'll end up, it's not like, oh, I don't believe that. Then you don't believe the Bible. Because the Bible clearly points out. And whose responsibility is it that? It's my responsibility to lead my children to Jesus. And my wife's responsibility. It's your responsibility, not just to bring them to church. But here's where I'm at. I'm all about doing everything right. And when you involve your kids in something, you know what you do? Now, please don't get mad because I'm just using this illustration. If your kids are involved in baseball, basketball, football, you want them practicing and giving their best most of the time, six, seven days a week. Do you emphasize the gospel in the same manner? Because there's a lot of parents who go, I want my kid to be a sports star. I want them to be great at this. Yeah, I'll take them to church on Sunday and give the preacher his shot for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, all right, whatever it is. You know what? A lot of times we redirect our efforts. We redirect our efforts. Instead of going after the one lost sheep, what the shepherd does go, I'm going to build better fencing. Make it more comfortable barns. Greener grass. We're going to put toys in the field and maybe that sheep will see all that and they'll want to come back. And then what we've done, instead of us going out into the world and getting our hands dirty, and instead of us being involved in sinners' lives, what the church did in the 80s was, we're going to make a really awesome barn. And we're going to get some really great entertainment. And we're going to get some really neat toys. And we're going to talk about all the blessings of God in our life and how we've got all these things and possessions and positions in the world so that hopefully sinners will hear that and they'll be like, man, I need Jesus. Well, if they come to Jesus for a better paycheck, they didn't deal with their sins and they never come to Jesus. Y'all quiet this morning. You know, he leaves the 99. Here's what Jesus does. He leaves the 99 to go find the one and he searches for it until he finds it. If you've got lost people in your life, say, how long do I share the gospel with them? Until there's no more opportunity. Say, how long are you going to stand here and preach until everybody's gone? Or till I fall over dead? So here's the question. Who's the one you're searching for? I want you to answer that right now in your own heart. Who is the one that God has you searching for? Who is the one that you go, I know that if this person doesn't come to the gospel of Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in Jesus, they're going to be in hell. I'm going to literally, physically watch them in that day when the Lord looks through the book of life and he goes, your name's not here. Now, wait a second. You know, I believe there'll be parents that they go, hold on a second, Lord, that was my baby. I took my baby to church and we went to VBS. You know, I took them. Check again. Not here. Not here. Who's the one? Maybe it's somebody you don't even have a relationship with. Don't got to be a friend. Maybe it's some most sorry, drugged out individual that you see every now and then or that you hear about. Or maybe you're just going to pass them this week. And you walk by them and the Spirit of God goes, share something with them. 
say something to them, love them somehow. And you're like, I don't got time for that. I don't want to be around those kind of people. Look how she's dressed. Look at, well, look at what he's involved in. Do you hear them? Guard yourself. You know why? Because they're over there, they're, they're using foul language. The same foul language we watch at night and laugh at on our TVs. Come on, let's get real this morning. Eternity is real. And, he, and here's the thing. You know, when the, when the sheep, when the lost sheep goes out into the wilderness, you know, the, the wilderness in, over in that area is full of rushing rivers and cliffs and, and wild animals. They have wolves and lions and, and bears. Oh, my. Some of y'all get that later, okay? But here's the thing. That's the nature of the wilderness. It's not fit for a little lamb. It's like the nature of Iran or Gaza. Let me ask you this question. If you was on an airplane or an airport and your child got separated from you at that airport and you found out that your child ended up in Gaza, I wonder how many of us would go, whoo, man, I hope somebody finds them. Some of y'all might. I don't know. Or, or maybe it would be like, well, you know, would it be okay if I told you they're in a better place? Would that, would that comfort you? What if your kid ended up right now, you got confused, got lost, ends up in Gaza, and you're like, Pastor, what I do? And I went, oh, don't worry, he's in a better place. Isn't that how we soothe our, our conscience? People live like the devil. They don't care nothing about Jesus, and all of a sudden they die. And some sh- sharp-dressed preacher stands up and goes, don't worry, they're in a better place. And so we Facebook and go, happy heavenly birthday. I'm like, hold on a second. Here's my question for the church. Does anybody perish? Does anybody go to hell? Is everybody a born-again believer? I don't think so. They're not. And he said, that's, that's, that's hard to swallow. And the church is the first one that needs to swallow it. Because until we deal with the truth, we won't deal with the gospel. As long as you soothe your conscience and go, oh, they're in a better place. They're not. They're not. And that's reality. And you know what? Once you swallow reality, you know, there's a lot of people here in our church who are preppers. You know, there's a lot of chatter going on about what could happen, what might happen. And a lot of us, and I'm one of those preppers, a lot of us are prepared for it. And then there's a lot of the naysayers that go, ain't nothing going to happen. Ain't nothing going to happen. Y'all going to be the ones in trouble when it happens. There's a lot of naysayers of the gospel go, I ain't worried about it. Plenty of time. They'll get saved one of these days. Everybody ends up in heaven. No, they don't. No, they don't. I need to swallow and go, I have family members who are lost i have friends who are lost i'm surrounded by people in our community who do not know jesus that if christ comes back we're gone they're not if they take their last breath today while they're on their cell phone and swerve over here to car the first thing they're going to see is hell itself bible said luke chapter 16 there was a certain rich man who died and he opened up his eyes in Flame and torment. First thing a lost person sees is going to be hell itself. And here's the thing. The only reason you would not go after the sheep is that you had, if it had little or no value to you. Little or no value. And there's a lot of people, we value a whole lot of things. But I think we've lost the value of one soul. I think there's a lot of people who've said, you know what, if you'll just go... A lot of y'all, y'all would never stand up and preach. But if I said, think about this. If you'll just go with me, if I can guarantee it, you go with us to the prison one time and you stand up and share your testimony, share the gospel, there will be 500 men give their life to Jesus. 
I think every one of you go, I think I could do that. But what if I was to say, will you go with us, stand up and share your testimony? Maybe that one would be saved. Like, that ain't for me. I ain't no preacher. See, we've been taught to think big numbers. Why? Because big numbers make us look big. You know? Wouldn't it be great if I come back here? How would you like it if I come back on Sunday after we go to the prison? Guess what? Last week we went to the prison. Prison, 10,000 inmates gave their life to Jesus. Y'all would be like, woo! What if I go, you know what? We preach and we think maybe one got saved. You know, the boys just went on their trip. They went on a trip. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done just a second, okay? They went on their trip and they did all that. And, and I know people look and keep up with all that stuff. And Jeremy came home and he's like, Dad, I know for sure that one girl gave her life to Jesus. A lot of times the church goes, just one? Y'all went all over the place. Y'all sung to all those people. Y'all did a lot. Just one? Just one? Let me ask this question. What if that just one was you? What if that just one was your kid? Oh, we get excited about that. But if it's just one person we don't know, little to no value. Little to no value. I know. It's tough. But here's the one. Um, Notice here that he, I'm going to skip a little bit. He carries it. I love the part where he, he picks him up. Carries him on his shoulders. He doesn't keep his distance. Jesus never kept his distance from sinful people. Jesus touched lepers. You know, he picks up. He picks up. This is a picture of the cross. How he carries my burdens. I want you to notice one thing. You can check me on it because I don't have time. But in every one of those, when he got it, he carried it all the way home. The prodigal son. Two 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 parables over. Prodigal son. When the father ran to him, he embraced him. And what did he do? He walked with him all the way home. When God saves, he saves and he delivers all the way. And so he carries him. And then this is the part I want you to get. He said, after this, uh, <clears throat> he says, rejoice with me. Or, 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 verse 6, what's the purpose of a church get together? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You know why we should get together? God calls us together to go, let's celebrate the ones who've come home. Maybe that's why we have a hard time celebrating. Let's be honest. Let's just put us on the platform. Is there anybody in here in the last five days been born again? Born again, last five days. Nobody. Nobody out of 300 people. So, mm, we could do that week after week if we don't know the truth. Churches all over. Week after week. You know, oh, well, people don't want to hear. People don't, don't, don't give no excuses. Let's just swallow that. Not one person. Maybe we need to change up from going, well, what are we going to celebrate? We're not. We're going to spend 30 minutes begging God to draw sinful people and to put them in our, in our pathway and to embolden us and to give us a broken heart and love towards lost people so that we'll have something to celebrate next week. That's what we should do if you want to know the truth. But here's the thing. Heaven celebrates. You know, heaven, heaven's heart doesn't celebrate our moral appearance or our weekly performance or our financial success or our daily problems getting better. I want you to think about this. The uh, Lord, just this morning when I talked to my wife, I just got this picture in my mind. Think about this. He says heaven celebrates over one sinner. It means heaven's paying attention. All the angels gathered around. This is what I think happens. According to the prodigal. Remember when the prodigal, the father runs to him, embraces him. 
And when he embraces him, what do he do next? He stands and he shouts, says, bring him the best robe, a ring and a pair of shoes for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Jesus is painting you a picture of what happens. Think about this. Cindy Arnold, she decided to sit on the front row today. At one point, are you saved, Miss Cindy? Yes, you are. I know that. At one point in time in her life, at the very moment that the gospel penetrated her heart, she come to the realization she was a lost sinner. She believed and called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save her soul. This is what happened. I don't know if it was the Lord or an angel stood up in heaven and said, Cindy Arnold's name was just written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And heaven, heaven lost its mind. Can you imagine the angels? You know why? Because Jesus is just smiling. He's like, see, it wasn't for nothing. Just one. A lost, my lost sheep has come home and heaven's like, they're not like. Heaven's losing it. Has heaven lost it over you? Has it? Have you, have they heard the birth announcement in heaven? That's what it is, the birth announcement. You want us to be born again. Has anybody stood up and went, today, I got an announcement, Nathan Fussell, been born. His name's written, they're writing in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? I don't care who the Antichrist is. I don't care what, what Iran and Iraq's doing. I don't care what's going on at the border. I keep up with the stuff, but here's my main concern. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Has heaven heard your birth announcement? Has heaven lost it in celebration over you coming home? And I want to finish here. You know, here today, if you're here today, you've never repented and turned to Jesus, then I want to, I want to stress this. I want you to listen to me. Maybe you're here today and go, I'm not ready to meet the Lord. I've never repented and put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here's what I want you to hear. You're the one. You're the one that he left heaven for. You're the one in all right now, no matter what you're involved in, no matter what ungodliness your life projects right now, you're the one that heaven looked down through time and went, I love that person. I love that sinner. In so much that I will leave my comfort. I will leave the rejoicing of heaven. I'll leave the worship of heaven to go hear the criticism of man. And I'll take up that sinner's cross. I'll bear it. Their sins on my shoulders. And I'll carry their sins to the cross. Where I'll be tormented and sacrifice my life in order that their sins were paid for. So that I can walk out of a grave and go, I want to save your soul. I want to give you life. I want to show you mercy. You're that one. You're the one he wants to bring home. And then I want to say this for a believer. If you're here today and go, I I am a born again believer. You're the shepherd of the gospel. What kind of shepherd are you? God's not calling you to reach thousands. He might, but he just wants to start with just one. Just one. When is the last time, just be honest with yourself, that you wept over one lost soul? That you were so burdened and you believed in eternity so much that your heart was broken and go, God, I just need this person to hear it, to see it. Show me somehow, God, that I can do something that they see you and that they come to know you. A lot of people, I've never felt that. I've never done that. Something ain't right. Something ain't right.
And we need to come back to a place. Maybe you need to deal with it today. Go, God, I don't have that burden, but I'm asking you to give me that. Let me see how you see. Take away my judgmental eyes to go, I'm glad I'm not like them. You know, if you'll keep reading. Most of you have read the prodigal and you read how he come home and, and the party and the celebration. And we usually stop right there. But if you'll keep reading, there was an older brother. He was mad because the father, because heaven was celebrating. He got upset. He's like, hold on a second. And then you know what? The father came out to him and said, what, what's up? He's like, you know what? I've served all these years. I kept your commandments. You know, at least appeared to. And not one time did you ever give me anything. But my, my little brother who went out and lived with harlots and lived a life like that, when he comes home now, you, you give him the fatty cat. A lot of times church members, what we do is we go, I've been saved. I serve in the church. I give my money. I do this. What are you doing for me? You know what the older brother should have done if he wanted to please the father? Go out and find your little brother. Love him enough to go out and find him and bring him home. And there's a lot of us who need to put away the big brother attitude and go, I'm going out to find my little brother. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? <clears throat> Lord, I love you and I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it even, even when it's hard. Lord, it's hard for me. God, I just pray that you would deal with our hard hearts, God. Start with mine. Lord, we wouldn't be so concerned about the comfort of the 99 or of the shepherd. God, that we would be overwhelmed with the condition of the lost one. God, let us not offer up excuses, but let's just humble ourselves to offer up what we have. Lord, you'll take what we have and you'll use it for your glory. Pray, God, you'd break our hearts for our community. And God, that we would be involved. God, you would bring people in our life. Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that you would draw people to us because they see you in us. And that we would have something to say to them. That we would speak of a hope that's radically changed our lives. God, forgive us when we make the determination that nobody wants to hear it anymore. Obviously, they do because we're still here. And God, I pray that we would love you enough and love them enough to be bold and to speak the gospel truth to them. Leave the results to you, Lord. I just pray if there's someone here today, God, I know there's people in this room in this number who've never repented and put their faith and trust in you. God, today that they would hear your love. They'd embrace that, God knowing that you receive sinners. That's what your word says right there. God, you're ecstatic over a sinner who turns their heart to you. I pray, God, they do that right where they stand today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.